And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast focusing on education and politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And we've got a lot to get to this week, a busy week uh, in education, starting with a little bit more of a breakdown of some numbers that we uh, we talked about last week, the latest round of the numbers on the SBAC exam. Yeah, Kevin, you had a chance to really drill down uh, at the school district level and take a, a look at some of these numbers and also look at some different factors and how that might have affected or at least correlated with the results that we saw. What are, what are some of the highlights from your reporting? Well, one of the things that I noticed, and it's not new, it's certainly not unique to the SBAC, is the correlation between uh, student poverty and test scores. We ran the numbers, and, and not surprisingly, you, you do see a negative correlation here between uh, student poverty rates and test scores. So in other words, in plain English, uh, the higher the poverty rate in a school, the more likely that the test scores are going to be lower. Now, that's a correlation. That doesn't mean that there's a causal link between the one and the other. But it is a, a correlation and a, a fairly uh, statistically significant one. So we looked at that. Uh, it kind of casts some context in, in terms of some of the numbers we talked about last week, uh, some of the higher performing uh, districts and charter schools that are demographically have uh, fairly low student poverty rates. So one of the things that I like to do when we do a statistical story like this is to kind of look at some of the exceptions to the rule, some of the outliers. And there are a couple of districts that sort of fall into that category, uh, districts where the poverty rates are fairly high uh, relative to the state average, but the test scores are uh, higher than the state average. And one district I'm taking a closer look at this week is Murtaugh, a small rural district about 20 miles east of Twin Falls saw some real improvements in their SBAC scores the second year out. Uh, Big improvements, and we saw slight improvements at the state level. Myrtle had big improvements. And uh, this is a district that has some fairly high poverty rates, but uh, scores that came in above average. We look at some of the things that they've been doing in past in Myrtle and what they did in the, the past year to prepare for the second round of the SBAC. Okay, that sounds good. You can find that. uh, We published that late in the week on Thursday. You can find that at IdahoEdNews.org. You can check that out. You can also link back and find our original coverage of the new SBAC results from last week if you need to get caught up uh, from the beginning, uh, so to speak. You can find all of that there uh, on our site. Meanwhile, in another uh, small district, you uh, spent some time, Clark, in New Plymouth on Wednesday uh, learning about some... some advanced opportunities programs that are going on out there. Uh, what'd you learn? This was uh, an interesting experience for me, Kevin. It was really a chance to follow something through that I saw, that we saw, that everyone saw taking place in the legislature the past couple of years to actually get out into a school and see kind of where the rubber meets the road with the policy. And so what happened, uh, the New Plymouth School District, uh, you know, way out there kind of by the, uh, the Oregon border, they're really ramping up their advanced opportunities, and their dual credit programs. And the reason they're able uh, to do this is is several reasons. But uh, the school district there partnered with CWI to offer some college courses uh, at the high school itself. About 90% of New Plymouth High's uh, full-time teaching faculty is certified to offer these dual credit uh, courses through CWI. And they've also partnered with IDLA to offer Uh, some online learning courses to supplement what's not available locally. And so what that means 
uh, is there is a pathway uh, for many, many students in New Plymouth to earn an associate's degree before they even graduate high school. Uh, the legislature really enabled that with the dual credit courses and the advanced opportunities. This most recent session, they consolidated all of that into one program and basically made it so that about $4,100 is available to every Idaho student uh, for things like professional technical exams, dual credit courses, overload courses. And New Plymouth has really found a way to maximize that at the local level so these students don't even have to leave their main school building during the day uh, to take these classes. And I met a couple of families uh, where the parents were there and they said, you know, we're going to have two years, the first two years of college taken care of. Uh, my daughter is going to have her general education course requirements taken care of right off the bat. Uh, they have had experience writing college level papers in high school, so they really feel like it saved their families money and it gave them a leg up on their peers uh, in, in colleges as well. And so that story's uh, at Idaho Ed News. I chose to focus on how one small school district was implementing it, but it's important to remember that the state funding for the dual credit courses uh, and the ability to take these courses is available throughout the state. I was just highlighting uh, one way that a small rural district is kind of maximizing that program and offering it locally. Right, and, and New Plymouth has some geographic advantages in the sense that they're right uh, in in the same general vicinity with CWI, they're, they're nearby. Uh, to what extent can this be tailored to other smaller districts that maybe aren't as close to a community college? I think the opportunity is there through, um, you know, depending on to what level or not the, the staff, uh, the high school teaching staff is certified to teach these dual credit courses, that's a factor, but through uh, distance learning and these hookups with the IDLA, that is possible more and more uh, for kids to do that. We've done stories the last couple years about students earning college credits while still in high school, and so the state funding is there to pay for these dual credit courses for families. Uh, the partnerships through distance learning with the IDLA makes it possible at many of these rural districts. And if you do have teachers who have earned master's degrees in the field that they teach in or who are certified to offer these dual credit courses, it makes it that much easier to do it at the local level. But this is available all throughout the state. Uh, it, you see it in, in bigger districts. We've covered it out of West Ada uh, before, but it's, it's nice to see these smaller districts, uh, these, these more isolated districts, these more rural districts, uh, take the baton and run with it. And New Plymouth had been doing that for years. They actually had uh, a community, sort of a benefactor, a community business person, uh, who before the state started paying for dual credit, uh, had paid for local students to take it. Uh, so something that really that district... Um, has embraced. If you want to learn a little bit more about it, check it out at idahoednews.org. If you're right. wondering how your student um, can take advantage, I would suggest checking with your high school guidance counselor or at the school district office to find out just how you enroll locally. Okay. And um, Kevin, uh, I want to talk a little bit more um, about financials and districts budget pictures. You had a chance to kind of go through and track some of these emergency levies. So I guess, first of all, what's an emergency levy and what does it have to do with enrollment? Well, it's a little bit of a lesser known uh, levy that a handful of districts uh, use annually. What it is, is it's a levy that a school board can impose, and, and impose unilaterally. This does not require a vote of, of the patrons. And it's a one-year 
levy that's designed to help districts that are dealing with enrollment growth. So you have to show enrollment growth and increase in ADA uh, in the early uh, attendance numbers. So what I found this year is uh, at least eight districts that I found are going to collect emergency levies this year, and we're talking about $7.7 million, down a little bit from a year ago, but in the same general range. The biggest of the bunch, not surprisingly, West Ada. Uh, the West Ada district is dealing with about an increase of another uh, 600 students this year, and they will collect uh, $3 million um, in emergency levies. And some of that, you know, most of the districts are going to use this money to, uh, to add supplies. You know, if you have more students, you need more tax right. You need more desks. Uh, you need more uh, computing devices. So you use the money in a lot of cases to, to just ramp up your, your inventory of supplies. Uh, districts are also going to use this money uh, quite often to hire staff to help in crowded classrooms. Now, it's very hard to hire a teacher in September. <laughs> so what a lot of these districts wind up doing is they hire paraprofessionals, uh, folks who are uh, going to be more uh, assistance to teachers in the classroom. But if you go to idahoednews.org, you can get a breakdown of which districts are collecting emergency levies and how much they're collecting. I appreciate that. Not something, like you said at the beginning, not something that people talk about all the time, maybe even something that a lot of folks aren't aware of because there is not that that um, referendum, there's not, there's not that ballot question mm -hmm. threshold. It just sort of happens uh, when there is an enrollment increase. So be sure to check that out, uh, the reporting's there. It's, it's interesting stuff, Kevin. And also on the budget front, you were following up uh, this week on the uh, superintendent's budget, uh, Sherry Ibarra's proposed budget for 2017-2018. You got a sense of what education leaders make of the budget request. Uh, what did you learn? Yeah, I talked to the three three of the bigger education uh, groups that, that we're familiar with, uh, the Idaho Education Association, School Boards Association, school administrators, and, and they basically said that uh, their leaders got together with some of the staff members at the State Department of Education, uh, not the superintendent. Uh, superintendent Sherry Barr was not participating in that meeting because she was out of town, uh, but they did meet with uh, her, her budget director and uh, chief, chief deputy superintendent, and basically what the education groups did is they outlined their top priorities, you know, sort of along the lines of we think in the next year we need to really focus on this, that, and the other, and then that uh, feedback was used into the budget. And then the group said um, that their priorities did receive uh, some treatment uh, and, and some attention in the budget. And those big three priorities uh, across all the groups were, uh, no surprise, we've heard this before, Kevin, continued funding for teacher pay increases through the career ladder, uh, continued funding of discretionary dollars for school districts. Those two are not new. One that may be a little bit new this year is additional financial investment to help districts retain some of their classified staff, that mm -hmm. non-teaching right. staff. Um, and, and so I, I talked to the groups about this. I do want to say, though, it's kind of early in the process. I wanted to run it by them and get their take, but nobody really wants to commit to say anything about what the budget will look like until the legislative session begins and we get to see Governor Otter's budget request and, and the, the way the, the lawmakers react to that. Everyone's kind of waiting for that in January before we get into these real serious discussions about what that budget might look like and how those negotiations might play out. But there was an acknowledgement in this week's story, and we've heard it already, uh, that this is going to be a challenging budget for uh, 
for education groups to shepherd through the legislature, especially when we're talking about the career ladder. This is year three. It's a big bump in funding. I talked to, specifically, I talked to the School Administrators Association, uh, Rob Winslow, um, their executive director, and that's one thing that he did say. That's one of their priorities is they want to get a, a third year of teacher raises through the career ladder in there. But the phrase he used is a big lift when he described getting it. that money approved through the legislature. It's a lot more money than we've seen in past years. It's a lot more money than we've seen um, in, in past years, and it's coming on the heels of several years of significant increases in teacher pay and bumps in school funding while maybe other pet projects that lawmakers have uh, went without. Uh, there's also the discussion of uh, tax cuts. And, and so that is kind of something maybe to watch. Uh, we're not quite to the session yet, but maybe be looking about, uh, thinking about that when we get to the session. What's going to happen with teacher pay? That could be a big indicator of where things go. And just as an aside, this is one of those things to file away because we're early in the budget sure. year. I, I, I blogged earlier this week about the way the state's financial picture is looking basically two months into the budget year. And the numbers are interesting. I mean, basically it projects out to possibly the state is running a $64.5 million surplus. Now, theoretically, that frees up a good deal of money for anything from uh, the, the career ladder to uh, discretionary funding for schools. But it could also mean, Kevin, it could mean some attention to roads and bridges infrastructure, or it could mean a tax cut that especially members of the House have really uh, wanted and pushed for for several years. Yeah, there, there's an old saying among State House insiders that uh, legislative sessions tend to run longer when legislators have money to to haggle over. And if uh, if these uh, surplus figures hold or if they even grow, uh, it could be a pretty uh, interesting session because you're right, there, there are going to be a lot of competing interests, whether it's education funding, tax relief, uh, uh, other projects that have been kind of waiting their turn, and, and the Medicaid expansion issue, which is still uh, sitting out there. And it's an odd-numbered year, Kevin. It's not a local election year. And generally speaking, those sessions tend to run a little bit longer because they do not have those primary elections that lawmakers want to run home and campaign for. So any number of reasons why this could be a little bit longer of a legislative session um, this year. Also, if you're well, interested... That's four months away. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We'll continue to cover that. Uh, if you're interested in how local districts uh, are dealing with their budget scenarios, we've, we've talked about budget uh, reserves mm -hmm. uh, before. We've talked about the West Ada School District. I had a short story uh, on Thursday about the Blaine County School District in the Wood River Valley area about them cutting 11 positions at the district office to avoid uh, a fifth or sixth consecutive year of deficit spending. Or spending, excuse me, not deficit spending, but spending down their spending reserves. Spending down reserves. And, and our Devin Bodkin wrote last week about those reserves and kind of how they break down between districts and, and districts. This is an example of another district, kind of like West Ada, uh, that's trying to hang on to some of their reserve money rather than, uh, than you know, Bring that uh, account down to zero. Yeah, and I apologize for misspeaking. Not deficit spending. They did balance their revenues and expenditures, but they were looking but to avoid... But it's not avoid... sustainable. Right. I think that's the problem that a Blaine County is looking at or a West Data. If you're spending reserves, you're spending one-time money to uh, continue ongoing programs. So th there's the rub. And uh, you can look at what's going on in Blaine County and look back at our coverage of the, uh, 
the, the funding reserve issue. All right. I think that catches us up with the big news from this week. You could, of course, connect with us, Idaho Education News, on Facebook and follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter. Check out our site every day for the top headlines in education news from around the state. I think that takes care of it for me, Kevin. Uh, as always, I want to thank everyone for listening to Extra Credit. We'll be back next week. Have a good week.